This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wode, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal cast and YouTube. All right, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal cast. We are here in a post-spoiler world. Stuff is kind of getting back to normal. So we decided, you know what? Time is right. We're fresh off some stores having in-person pre-release events for Core 21. Mm -hmm. Let's take a look at the future. Yes. So this week, we're going to cover our personal thoughts on where we see Paper Magic going in 2021. Yep. What it means in store, Mm -hmm. what it means at the organized play level, what that's going to look like, and what you can kind of anticipate financially, format-wise, everything. Yep. Uh, So... I was thinking about it today before we did the cast, and I don't think we're going to be as polarized in this conversation as I originally thought. Um, Coming into the weekend, I didn't get a chance to actually talk to uh, the LGS owners around here until late in the weekend. And uh, hearing their thoughts on things for the last couple of years leading up to now, you know, starting with where we are and kind of moving backwards, it really appears that there have been a lot of red flags over time at the LGS level and thus the vendor level of where paper magic as a whole is heading. So I I have an idea of where you're going to be, and I, th- I think I'm going to surprise you with where I am. Uh, uh, it's where I've been since we started. <laughs> yep. Uh, paper, paper magic is on the way out. I think that... Especially over the last couple months, while COVID has shut things down, and you've seen Wizards kind of adapt ways to integrate the LGS experience into Arena, into Modo, and into this online style. Uh, I think more and more, that type of thing is going to become the norm. And as that happens, you'll see fewer and fewer events at the local level. At least that are for, you know, FNM, yes. Tuesday Night Modern, Wednesday Night Modern, mm-hmm. whatever. Rather than have a four to five night schedule, you'll see most of the LGS is dumbed down to one or two nights a week. Yep. And it's, you know, we're going to carve out our niche as a store. This is our EDH night. Every store is going to have one. Mm-hmm. And you know what? We're one of the only stores that fires Legacy. Let's do Legacy on our normal night because those players are loyal. Yes. They will use our store code on Modo Mm -hmm. when they play in Legacy events and get us revenue for not doing anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that at the LGS level especially, you're going to see more and more specialization in terms of events with the exception of Mm pre-releases. Everyone I talked to this weekend was like, well, you know, pre-releases are pre-releases. We've got to do them to get product. Yeah, yeah. the main way you keep your numbers up, so that's going to continue to be a thing. And even right now, with the COVID environment that we're in, Watsi is getting on the LGS to report back their numbers of either pre-orders and sales, or however they're doing it. Watsi just needs to know how many people yeah. did you get in, what is your allocation going to look like because of that. And to extend that a little bit, you've had channel running events on Arena. Mm-hmm. You've had, uh, you know, a bunch of third-party services come up to run large events on Modo for different formats. And there's been, even Play EDH, the Discord is now Skype games, which yep. has been the normal for 
a while for people that met each other in there. Mm -hmm. Now it's just becoming the normal for people that know each other in real life. And not that you won't go to your weekly EDH night, but basically when you get to the large scale events and you're seeing them run on Arena, you're seeing them run on Modo, you're seeing them run on Chimera, whatever third party services, it saves wizards and tournament organizers a lot of money Mm -hmm. to do that. And I love GPs. I think that format's incredible as a vendor, as a player. It's awesome. Yeah. TOs don't necessarily feel that way because it's a lot of labor. You can just have a bad event and then you're hosed. Oh, yeah. And there are things that are out of TO hands that players will complain about as being a TO's fault. And so you just take a pounding no matter how you slice it as a TO. You know, if you're on a great event, it's just going to be an okay event per the, the the players. If something bad happens at the event that's out of your control, then you're just going to get railed. It GP is, Jackhammer. Uh, GP Worcester, yeah. Circa, Avison Restored, the DCI Center flooded. It yeah. was not a rainy day. Something just burst and like swept under the gaming, etc. booth. They didn't lose any products, but they were done for the weekend, early Saturday. Completely out of yeah. the TO's hands. Yeah. Uh, and then you have like Walter crashing at Vegas. I don't even know how many times at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, these, these are all things that you can avoid. And lo and behold, Wizards found a way to integrate Channel's tournament organization for GPs into Arena and still honor that contract. So that's another way that you're seeing this sort of shift mm-hmm. into a more digital world, which is kind of, I mean, when you look at how Hasbro was budgeting for Watsi when they did that earnings call last year, and they're like, hey, we're tripling our budget for Arena because mm-hmm. that's been really good for us. Yes. Clearly that's where the push is going. Mm-hmm. And I think you'll still get stuff like Eternal Weekend. That magic could be dead and i think eternal weekend would still happen oh yeah absolutely uh, you know it's just it's basically gen con for magic at this point oh yeah it, it, he, it doesn't matter if you play legacy or vintage or not even just going is a great yeah pe- people will see. carry that torch a hundred percent yeah and i think that my expectation in summary for 2021 specialization at the lgs level mm-hmm. to two to three nights where you're running the formats that you know you can fire. Far, far, far fewer physical GPs and Pro Tours. Uh, I know a number of people have spoken out about how important the gathering is to Magic. Yep. Saying that that face-to-face social interaction, and I agree, seeing the look of salt on my opponent's face when I tap a winner orb on end step to activate Urza. Oh, yeah, yeah is just incredible who did i have but, i had a good conversation with somebody about that about the gathering part of magic re salt and it was very similar yeah and it, it's Jason Old. it's as rewarding as that stuff is hasbro at the end of the day is running the show it's yeah. not wizards of the coast anymore it's still wizards of the coast an entity owned by hasbro but at the end of the day they're beholden to hasbro's shareholders and what gives them more profit in terms of actual margin I think Arena, without Mm -hmm. them disclosing their full numbers, obviously. Yeah. And I think they're going to try to push that and ride that gravy train. So I fully expect to see more and more, you know, we gave Legacy the axe. 
we're probably going to give Paper Modern the axe mm -hmm. before too long. Mm -hmm. And then we've got Pioneer and Standard and Limited, and those are the only formats that we're going to run Pro Tours in. And Historic, not Pioneer. Yeah, Historic. Because yeah, Pioneer's not a moto yet. Yeah. Uh, you know you know where you can do all of that? Arena. Arena. And if if it happens where Pioneer does eventually get added or something similar, cool. Yeah. That, that infrastructure is already there and they're already transitioning. I'm not saying we'll have see the complete elimination of paper events in 2021, but I expect that we will see a drastic decrease in the number of events, which means for vendors, fewer buys, mm -hmm. higher costs. Yes. And, well, not necessarily higher costs, but you have to pay more to be competitive because you're dealing with an online buy list. Yeah. And I think you'll see a lot of vendors who don't adapt to that quickly that maybe mainstays at the GP scene fall off the wayside. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I agree with a very high percentage of that uh, overall. A after talking to uh, managers, etc., like I said this weekend, my initial thought was that uh, prior to these conversations, we would actually have no paper magic played in 2021 uh, at the Magic Fest, the uh, Mythic Championship, or the SCG level. They would just cut it loose for 2021. And that okay. we would also see uh, any kind of resurgence in Pioneer die down for Historic, because that's what's being supported. So if anything yeah. did come up in the meantime, we would lose Pioneer. After those conversations, though, I do, uh, I can tell you that the niche FNM and the or the niche Magic Knight thing is absolutely an LGS model. It's what I've had up here yeah. for over a decade, and that is something I do agree with. There's, it's very difficult for an LGS to survive on just Magic players alone. So you have to di to diversify, and thus, yeah. at my LGSs have done so. One night was ED one night is EDH. I think. Wednesday night was split draft and uh, board game demo night. Tuesdays sure. was actual tabletop, meaning like 40k or you know some spinoff of that. Warm hordes, whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Thursday was nothing, and then Friday was F and M. Saturdays and Sundays were reserved for whatever events they they might have. I can tell you that model works, and it allows you to go wide, which is what you need to do as an LGS to survive. You need to serve as many clients as you possibly can, and yeah. going tall on Magic does not does not do that. That just means you fall faster if something like the removal of paper play were to happen. Uh, uh, I don't really consider play at the LGS level in 2021 an overall factor. People are going to do it if they can. Every state and every area is a little bit different. Uh, you yeah, know, we were looking sure. really good up here up until students came back, and then you know so many thousands of people from out of state flooded, so our our COVID numbers skyrocketed. But we were headed to a point where we could have actually had F and M's come back within the next couple of weeks, if not for this. So I really don't want to say anything about uh, about that in, into 2021 as at the LGS uh, level. So what changed my thinking about the the paper? seen in 2021 and why i do think we will get a little bit back is why is because we're going to see a paradigm shift in what actually happens in paper magic at a large scale event level i don't know how star city games is going to survive on an arena model only yeah and i don't think they can the first level of events you win store credit and if you're only playing arena that supposes that they're going to come back for paper or they're just going to sell you edh cards so they might just change their model over to be edh you know 
fo and refocus and do kind of what some other vendors are doing, which is go hard on that, like we've talked about in the past. Yeah. Uh, but I do think we will <laughs> see some magic fests, and what I think the paradigm shift is going to be is that we will get the actual convention air that Watsu wants to give off at these magic fests, and we won't actually see constructed magic fests in 2021. It'll be conveniently you know, limited the entire way through because it's very easy to get people to come in and play those events when you need to bring nothing with you aside from cash in hand, essentially. Yeah. You paid for it ahead of time or whatever. And coming out of 2021, I think that's the paradigm shift where we are now looking at conventions however many times a year, but they're going to be mainly limited, just like 2021 will be, and the side events will be where you play your constructed formats. And yeah. it'll be left to those people. That still gives vendors and players the opportunity to do what they're going to do. And a as long as your sets are good for limited, you know, unlike Dominaria, then you will still bring in a large number of people to these events because it does pander to the largest audience possible. You don't have to do one every week, every month. You can break it out if you do want to have that convention kind of air, but I think that's where we're going to go in 2021 is we'll begin to see this changeover. And yeah. that kind of came out of the model that Watsi has put forth for paper play for the last couple of years. In talking with them, a number of my LGSs divested from singles well before the MSRP Sorry. model was removed and they said starting there with the removal of the MSRP the removal of uh, a lot of lead time for products it seemed like Watsi was just stepping back from the printing process and just going to figure out a way to print enough paper cards to sate demand to meet what little paper play will be left by the time they're done with their digital products and making that the way to play I think this just kind of accelerated yeah. everything. And I, I think that's something we talked about before is kind of like more of a living card game model. And I like that you touched on going more the convention route because when they announced Mythic Fest, that was what they wanted. Mm -hmm. And since then, they haven't really done a lot to do that. No. But the like you said, if you were to have a limited event there and bring a bunch of like vendors, artists, stuff like that, well, then all of a sudden you can have like pastimes there running EDH events mm -hmm. uh, Wizards or whoever running limited yes and you break it up and that can help obviate costs a little bit for everyone if everyone's got their own little piece similar yeah. to Gen Con yep and Watsi can take over some of the large independent events like they wanted to take over Eternal Weekend from Card Titan and brand that a magic fest yeah now you have that wizard's wrapping around the event finally, not to legitimize it, because that is a very legitimate event, but it just kind of brings it back under the umbrella, brings it home, so to speak. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that that is also a model I could see them going with. And, like, those events are where you get the product. Yeah, essentially, you know, like, yeah. The, the LGSs still have it, and they have access to it, but... Similar to, you know, Dragon Con, the Melanthi Dragon debacle of, you know, you have to go here to get this. Yeah. Well, when the pre-release for Modern Masters was at Vegas, remember how popular that was? That's something they could also do to try to drum up that model as well. Exactly. But I digress. Sorry, continue. No, no, it's just interesting because the more you, 
you you look at it, the more it makes sense because we've talked a number of times of like you can't just keep running Vegas every year. You can't keep running yeah. it back. People are gonna stop going. It's you lose the the pomp and circumstance that is that event. You need a big if you if you want a destination event, you gotta pick a new destination or you have to not run it every year. Yeah. But if you scale back the number of events overall and give and actually work on that convention feel, like they kind of did at Vegas, but everything was so sequestered because of the way the room was set up, then you can actually run Vegas back every year. Yeah. But the convention part of it just needs to be there. And they can start looking at uh, somebody on Twitter brought up the photos of PAX Prime circa... Battle for Zendikar, where it had the Ulamog arms coming out of the building, crushing a cop car. You can go back to doing big things like that again a couple times a year for your flagship events and bring people in. You don't need large TOs to run these events again. Watsy can actually create a division for it if they want to in-house it and take control of everything that's on them. And that still allows the LGS to do what they need to do at the local level to keep people interested in playing the game in-store. Buy the products in store. Buy your singles in store. The gathering can happen at the store still, but I, to me, that the, because that's such an individual level, I do expect that to happen. I just want to separate that out from, uh, yeah, 2021. I did actually find out only I think it was last week through EDH Rec, uh, their podcast about the uh, what you're talking about in regards to the EDH Discord that was going on and um, yeah the actual EDH event, the Command Fest style event that was being hosted on Discord, where you would just like, uh, uh, was I don't know if it was Channel Fireball or somebody else, they spent a long time setting up Discord and the bots, so you would just throw out a direct challenge command, it would put four yeah. people together, give you a room number in, um, not, Ch not Chimera, but something else, because the room was yeah. already waiting for you, you just go into that application, which is completely third party, it had all the cards already, you just imported your list, Type in yep. your room number, and you were just matched with those other people, and you just jam, and it ran and flawlessly. I, yeah, I I think that when you can have third party software like that that runs that event better than Walter, yeah, it emphasizes the need for like the third party, the community to run that and headline that. Yeah, and I think that you know similar to how Eternal Weekend is entirely a community event. Mm -hmm. I Wizards has nothing to do with it; they put it together. That is what I think you're going to see more of yeah, the uh, coming the next year. Command Fests at the, the recent Mythic uh, Magic Fests. And you yeah. just kind of have this interesting situation where you essentially set up... An, uh, you have your main event, and then you have sides, at, not as you know them, but something similar. You just have what is effectively the game room, where people can either go in and you know just throw down wherever they want, or they can jump in uh, an eight-person pod, and it's just handled by... A, a local store or maybe another TO, whatever, whatever you want, but it is effectively, it's in the same room but detached from the main event. Yeah. And you just get to enjoy yourself either way you want. I don't, that's where I see Paper Magic moving, and in all honesty, I'm fine with that, especially as a vendor, because it does the exact same thing, which is just bring people into a room to play Magic and interact with each other and with me as a vendor. That's how yeah. I'll, I'll move my cardboard at any point in time. You mentioned pre-releases, and I don't think those change. I mean, they no. will once we can go out and play them physically, but I think pre-releases yeah. are exactly going to be the same. The era of the PTQ, and just like the GPT, that's a bygone era. We're, we're done with that. Yeah. Um, 
gone. You'll do everything. You'll you'll qualify for everything on arena like you are now. I don't I don't think yeah. we're going to see that really come back in any way, shape, or form. No, I I think that the one thing that is more like I think the pre-release and its existence in Magic is essential to Magic because it is you know it's how new players start often and it gives old players a like throwback to when they were younger and it was new yeah. and it's even the most competitive players i know that just grind for the pro tour love pre-releases and i think that is those will never change no matter what happens until paper magic dies oh yeah absolutely but, it, it is quintessential magic is kind of why you can't escape the pre-release I, I i believe if you go and you read the wikipedia entry for magic the gathering you'll find out that in its heyday at some point magic the gathering was meant to be played while you were waiting on a line it was it's one of those yeah. games in a long lineage and so the idea of just and jumpstart actually brings us uh, harkens back as well you just get a thing you open the yep. thing you play the thing you're done with the thing and every every time you open your packs it's something brand new you have to figure out how to play the cards you were given it's just quintessential magic you can't get rid of it it's part of the reason why i think changing the model of the magic of yeah the magic fest to limited only is where we're going to see things happen it also saves face with when it comes to like the secondary market and how expensive things are when you remove all those large events that people prepare for it calls the need for a lot of that stuff and you see a lot of those complaints die because people no longer have to grind the format and find the best version yeah. of the deck that they love you know you could do it all on moto it'll be cheap the end that's, sure that's where you host that i don't know um yeah, and I, I think that's future we're looking at. Yeah. And, you know, from a finance standpoint, it just harkens everything we've been talking about for uh, since we started. It's EDH finance. That's all we are right now. The, yeah. You can look much. at reserve list stuff. You can look for low-hanging fruit, anything under 20. You can pick it up if you want. Like, sure, Wallach Help might be worth something eventually because, you know, Rising Tide. Sarkin's unsealing. Yeah, I, was a I, I wish I recorded the that is our entry uh god uh, we'll be back it'll get there i'm sure it will it can't be or it can't not be it's too good it it really is just you know edh finance and long and long-term value from there yeah and, and yeah. you just have to pick your strategy uh, from that do you want to short-term flip or do you want long-term holds and if you want long-term holds then you have to expect that at some point you might get hit by uh mystery booster style product you know, jumpstart yeah. whatever it is that you got to be okay with Inevitable. yeah with taking your losses and know your outs and your timelines the timeline will be the most important part of finance from here on out especially when it comes to edh stuff but yeah. at least you have an idea that you're only going to get hit maybe like two times a year realistically i don't think we're going to see a four edh product a year again for a long time and that that's the commit the yearly commander deck mystery booster jumpstart and the draft set. I'm all counting as commander yeah. product for this year. That the mono green thing, I don't count. And then the commander decks, any commander product that we see with Zendikar, I count in the yearly deck as well. Yeah, because it shorts two more decks, but we knew they were coming. It's not a surprise. I don't think we're gonna get like another two or three master set here again. That's a little irksome. But yeah, this is where Maybe. we live now. The house Speaking of built. being on EDH, specs, 
Picks? Sorry, yeah. picks. I mean, what are picks if not specs? Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. I have your. I honestly thought for a hot second that you picked something a card that I've been watching for a couple of weeks. Hmm. Uh, nope. Uh, well, maybe. No, you, you didn't. It, it was. It was a card. I'm not. I'm not terribly familiar with either of these. I read this one. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, this thing. Not the one I've been tracking, but. Yeah. Yours. So I went with, and it's one that I'd mentioned in a previous episode. Yes. Branching evolution. Why now? When pre-orders are still thirty dollars. Because I can't do it the weekend after release to tell you to keep an eye on it on release day. The day Jumpstart releases, keep your eye on TCG Player. Mm-hmm. At around 3 to 5 p.m. Central, whatever that is, wherever you are in the world, you'll hit your low on release cards. I fully expect Branching Evolution to be Unbound Flourishing style sub 5 bucks. Buy as many copies as you can get your hands on. It doesn't matter. Yeah, this is... I, it's three to five dollars. The windmill slam all day. I will take every copy I can get. As I touched on, you know, in the previous episode, this card is EDH solid gold everywhere forever. Yep. It's d- situational double link season. I guess parallel evolution. I think is the yeah. one that's similar. We talked about five. this. Yeah. It's yeah. It, like there's a. There's a tiering of cards that do the exact same thing, essentially, and it just puts counters on your creatures. Yeah, doubling season might double your planeswalkers or some other hoo-ha here and there, but in reality, you're just making some big all monsters. Yeah, you're just doubling something, and that effect, thanks doubling season, is never not worth money. Mm -hmm. Added to the fact that we're seeing a production delay, shortage, whatever you want to call it, uh, simply due to covid and factories being closed yeah this is like in my opinion a doubly sure thing or as close to a sure thing as it can get yes because low supply will eventually be absurd demand Mm -hmm. and yes you got to watch out for the reprint bug but wizards despite the constant reprints haven't really touched mid to high financially viable cards yet within a year or two of their release. Sarkin's Unsealing is a bulk rare. It'll continue I mean, to be a bulk rare, but we'll get there again. Yeah, to be fair, I'm going to bring this card up so people can see on stocks. Primal Vigor came out in a Commander 2013, and that card's just been floating along as a solid pickup and only gets better over time. It ages like a fine wine. Yep. And, it, and this is another one of those cards in that tier that I mentioned earlier. So to track is a surefire thing. You can see it was a, it was slow growth until recently when we just got like infinite counter stuff in Aquaria. But branching yeah. evolution is going to follow the same long term plan. And that's why I think it's you know that day get in for as much as you possibly can. Yep. Yeah. I already did my uh my little bit of pre release pickup. Nice. So. Yes, uh, Conspicuous Snoop is still a little too expensive for my blood to go tall on, so instead I found out CK was selling uh, some foil alt-art core 2021 cards for like 40% of TCG market, so I just... Sure. Yeah, I just ate them up. Yeah. yeah it t- took a little while to, to sort out uh, with one of our data pulls, but once I got there, it was just really obvious. Um, my pick, also EDH, just a card... 
I kept forgetting to pay attention to is Revel in Riches. Uh, it's a black enchantment from Ixalan that is an alt wincon in black, which is very difficult to come by. Uh, wincons, no. Alt wincons, yes. And basically, it just requires that you have 10 treasures in play at the beginning of your upkeep. Yeah, I just want to make sure it was 10. Now, yep. uh, I brought up the stocks graph for this card, and you can see there was a, a, a very strong dip and then a rebound. That dip is because this was not only in Mystery Boosters, but uh, also in promo packs, right? So yep. we have two additional printings, and everything has recovered. The Mystery Booster price, it hit high, uh, probably close to where the actual Revel was, so close to $5, then just dropped to like 2 but the slope on it is positive. It, it's not a rope, it's just a very, very uh, slow, or small slope. Um, so... Uh, watching this card for uh, quite some time, I know I've been tracking some data on this one. So right now, CK is buying them at about the same amount that they were last week, but the quantity they are buying is much higher. They're buying 42 now compared to the 20-some they were last week. That number has come down from 56 over the weekend, and it did have a high of $2 in cash. Right now it's 160 cash, so people have been... Uh, dumping to the CK buy list, but they're still buying a decent amount, right? So, And this is only the set numbers. It's all I'm looking at. I'm not looking at any other version of this card. Set only. So people are buying and selling this card. Fairly liquid. The Delta, not that great. It's like a $2 Delta. The TCG market, when uh, I picked up, was about $3.50. It's still holding. So, you know, at a dollar fifty uh, in terms of cash and about... Uh, for credit that's not really the greatest delta but give it time you get in now you give this time and you just sit on it and let it age it will pick back up it'll head towards that five dollar mark pretty quickly we're not seeing a lot of additional mystery booster product hit right now we are supposed yeah. to get more but just like everything else from like Korea forward carta has to be printing a set and a supplemental at the same time they can't do one and and than the other. That, sorry, that is literally what they're doing. They just have very yeah. protracted periods to do all of this, so we're not getting all the product that we should have at each release. We'll get there eventually. It will be stepped out. So there is a chance that Mystery Boosters just do stop. We just don't get any more of this, and that is when most likely this card will just pick back up a little more aggressively than it would normally. I like this as an EDH card because it just costs one black, so it can go on literally any deck that can cast a black spell. And being an yeah. alt win con, triggering when a creature dies means it can go in any black deck. You don't have to be slow in plotting control, which is kind of what you see when you actually look at Revel and Riches as a card on yeah. uh, EDH rec. You just see a lot of controlling commanders across the board. And you can actually put this in something a little more aggressive. A deck because creatures will die naturally. It's just a standard attrition. Or the interesting thing is you can actually play this as a counter comp to control. Yeah. So you can just drop Revel and Riches, and as your control opponent just takes care of the board naturally, you get closer and closer and closer to winning. Uh, works well with Dockside Extortionist. If you play red, you can almost combo kill in that regard. Or if you're playing uh, any kind of black deck with Cabal Coffers, you, there is the opportunity for you just, you know, slam Revel, Damnation, pass turn, and see if you just untap and win. So yeah. this card is, I think, underrepresented right now in how many decks 
are playing it because I think more people should be playing it. And once they realize how good this card is, they either see it in play or it just starts to tick up a little more aggressively and it hits stocks or it comes up in more uh, EDH content, uh, more videos, then people will flock to this card. And that, yeah. would, that would make it a more short to midterm hold. Right now I'm looking at this card in a mid to long term hold because I think there will just be natural demand for this card over time. And it will just yeah. go back to, up to 5 and then again towards 10. Unless, for whatever reason, this gets printed in uh, another standard set. I also think that it's interesting because it's... Personally, I think cards from Ixalan and that era are kind of low reprint risks because of the recency of what a bad standard we had from Shadows, Kaladesh, War of the Spark, and I think Wizards, pure speculation here, is somewhat reluctant to reprint some of those cards because of the association with that time period Mm -hmm. and because they're trying to move on from, you know, ham-fisted, we're banning something every set. They're still there. Uh, but trying to get away from that. So yeah, I think yeah, that yeah. the reprint risk for something like Rebel and Riches, which is lower in power level in a vacuum uh, than something like Aetherworks Marvel, mm-hmm. and has a lower exposure because Ixalan just wasn't... It was overshadowed by the sets on either side with Dominaria and yeah, Kaladesh, I, and we'll just forget about Aur and Amonkhet. Uh, and I, I think this is a solid pickup. Like you said, I'd be more mid to long term yeah. as well myself. I. Thinking about the the reprint equity on this, it's it's not that it's not just because it was Ixalan that makes it low. It's also kind of a thematic card. This is the first set where, where they truly leaned into pirates. Yeah, sure, they were on Mercadia when we you know were there in Masks Block, but this is the first time they just leaned in. Okay, so we're yeah. getting pirates from here on out. So if you want to bring back a card like this and not just have it be some weird standout thing, you have to be able to create treasure. So you've got to have something else that does this. So you're looking at like maybe a heavier goblin theme, which is fine. We have cards like Dockside Extortionist. It's a goblin that just makes a ton of treasures. You're not going to get a card like Brass's Bounty because that's tied to uh, Lord Admiral Beckett Brass from Ixalan. Unless they bring that character back, a non-planeswalker, random cannon character, sure, why not? Yeah. Or you move it to something like Dragons, you know, some a clan that's, again, notorious for hoarding wealth, and then this card kind of slots in there. If you don't do that, you just shoehorn a card in, into set, and they, they're they awkwardly thematic at times. Yeah. And I'll cite Triskaidekaphobia as a, a good example of that. That card is utter nonsense. Yeah. And, but it is incredibly thematic to Innistrad. It is. Revel and Riches is, is thematic to that kind of gathering of wealth, that accruing of wealth, and to do that, you need a reason to do that. You need to bring this card back and put it in a tribe or put it in a theme that just kind of works out. If I yeah. if I saw this come back, I would honestly expect it in a master set more so than a commander set because, again, you would have to do the same thing. You have to give... you have, you got to create treasures for a reason. They can't just be killing creatures. That's just too ham-fisted. To, to reprint this or you would have to dedicate like i said this card to a theme in an upcoming set and i just don't see that happening either yeah so i i don't think so i think pirates we visited we're moving on a hundred percent and we'll just get them from here on out naturally people are okay with it just like with colossal dread in every set why not why not 
That's dumb. <laughs> Look, I was all in on the Colossal Dreadmore Colossal Dreadmaw box topper troll. I was in on that. That was good. Oh God. That would have been great. I, I would have bought it. Hands down. Same. It's a good troll. Um, but yeah, I think that I'm going to wrap up this week. I think we covered a lot of ground. You know, there's a, a lot to think about when it comes to what's going to happen with paper in 2021. And well, again, we did, did discuss the financial impact of that. But I think this is yeah. now the time where you really have to kind of pick your lane more so than before straddling is not really going to get you anywhere that no. you want to go you need to decide what you want to do uh, i've also heard collection buying is becoming pretty difficult in a lot of places it is and uh, the number of people the number of buys i have sourced has gone way up mm -hmm. recently because gp vendors don't have the access yeah so you know going out of your way to do that a little more difficult you have to compete with facebook and everything else now so you know if you want to move in on edh it, collections is generally a good place to start especially from local players but if that's the format that everybody's moving to that's going to be a little difficult but you know you can definitely pave your way if that's the niche you want to fill yep um, for sure but unless you have any parting notes oh all right we are at halt i am reptar and at Thirsty Sizzler. And we are at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, Facebook, Patreon, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube. Yes, those are the ones. All right. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll see you next week.